Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Uh, we do this every Monday, September through May at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And on the air with me as well is my co-host, uh, Susie Porton. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Um Shall I do the call-in number, or do you want to do it together? Sure. The call-in number. Here we number. go. Okay. 347-994-42981, and then please press 1. Outstanding. <laughs> um, well, we're both waiting to see if our dad from last week calls back in. But in the meantime... Uh, Shall we start with some email? Sure. Um, I just want to remind our listeners that the webinar for parents is rescheduled for next Monday, November 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So please sign up. I want to apologize for the need to reschedule that. I was sick and, um, well, now have been fighting pneumonia. But here we are. The program goes on, Yes. Wow, yeah. I'll be very surprised if I'm not uh, in good shape to do the webinar by next week, but um, who knows? I thought I was going to be over this thing a long time ago. Here is our first email. I like this one. I am new to this approach and have started implementing it. I would like to put up a sign of our family rules and their respective consequences. My husband thinks the rules and consequences goes against your approach. I think if we work as a family to come up with the consequences, they'll be following your approach. What are your thoughts? I'm going to take that one first. Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is that I'd rather call them expectations rather than rules. Um, Rules tend to sound a lot less flexible. Uh, expectations, you got three options. And those three options are called plans A, B, and C. Um, plan A is where consequences often come in. Um, plan A is when adults are imposing solutions to expectations that a kid is having difficulty meeting often with adult-imposed consequences attached. So here's what plan A would sound like. Let's say we had the expectation that uh, the kids, uh, one in particular who's having difficulty, uh, clean off the plate from dinner and put it in the dishwasher. So that unsolved problem, or also known as an unmet expectation, would be worded as follows. Uh, difficulty uh, cleaning off the plate and putting it in the dishwasher after dinner. So it doesn't really matter that much whether we're calling that a family rule or a family expectation. It's just that, once again, with expectations, you've got three options. 
here's what plan A would sound like on that unmet expectation. So let's say uh, we've got a kid who's not having an easy time meeting that expectation, or sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, but he's not meeting it reliably. And perhaps, just to add a little fuel to the fire, let's say that when we remind him to do that, let's say he's left the dinner table, is now parked in front of the TV, and when we remind him that he's supposed to clean off his plate and put it in the dishwasher, he pitches a fit. Here's plan A. I've decided, this is the parent talking here, that if your plate is not cleaned and put in the dishwasher after dinner, then there will be no TV after dinner and you shall go straight to bed. So I just want to make sure people are clear. The expectation, clean your plate off and put it in the dishwasher. That's also the expectation that kids having difficulty meeting. That's an unmet expectation. In this model, that's called an unsolved problem. And what we've now done is impose a solution. Um, no TV, go straight to bed. Now, there are people who would call that an adult-imposed consequence. That's plan A. And in this model, we actually discourage the use of plan A, even if the kids agree to it, because we still don't know what's making it hard for the kid to clean off his plate and put it in the dishwasher. I know there's lots of people who are listening to the program now who are saying they know exactly why he's having difficulty cleaning off his plate, putting in the dishwasher. He's in a hurry to get in front of the TV, or he knows mom will do it for him. But here's the cool part. This is the coolest part of this model. Um, we learn when we do this model that what we assume, well, you know the expression. Uh, when we assume we know, we are usually wrong. And when we find out what's really getting in the way, we find out that those adult-imposed consequences weren't going to fix it. Plan C, that's another option, is where you're setting aside the unsolved problem, at least for now, as an act of prioritizing. Why would we do that? Because there are many behaviorally challenging kids out there who have many, many, many different unsolved problems and you can't work on them all at once, plan C are the ones you're not working on right now. And then there's plan B. Plan B is where you're solving the problem collaboratively and proactively. That's why the name of the model is Collaborative and Proactive Solution. Um, this is where you are engaging the kid in um, a problem-solving partnership to try to get that problem solved. And there are three steps that are involved in doing it. Uh, the empathy step is where you're gathering information from the kid so as to understand his concern, perspective, point of view uh, on the unsolved problem you're talking with him about, in this case, difficulty cleaning off plate and putting it in the dishwasher. Uh, second step is called the defined adult concern step. That's where uh, the parent is entering their concern or perspective into consideration on the exact same unsolved problem that we're talking with the kid about preferably proactively right now. Adults have very important concerns as well, usually related to how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid, how the unsolved problem is affecting other people. Now, in this case, I'm betting that it would be how it would be affecting other people, namely, if you don't clean off your dish and put it in the dishwasher, somebody else has to do it for you, or the dish sits there on the table all night and we get rats. 
All right, that's the adult concern. Very legit. And then in the invitation, parent and kid are collaborating on solutions so as to try to come up with one that is realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to do, and mutually satisfactory, meaning the concerns of both parties have truly and logically been addressed. And what is now probably becoming very obvious is that this is totally different than simply putting up a sign of family rules and their respective consequences, whether you work together as a family to come up with the consequences or not, um, that's not going to solve the problem. Susie, I bet you've got something to say on this matter. Just a few. Um, I wanted to say that working together as a family is good. It is a family problem. You don't want to um, pathologize the child, but you want to find out what's getting in the child's way with lagging skills and unsolved problems and being responsive to it. You need to get the right lenses on. It's a developmental delay of sorts, a learning disability, and consequences don't teach skills and solve problems. It's similar to a math or a reading problem, and you wouldn't punish or consequence the child for a reading or math problem. Instead, you'd figure out the problem together and get the child the help he needs. And lastly... Yes. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say there are many parents who are listening right now who are thinking, are you kidding me? Difficulty cleaning off his plate and putting it in the dishwasher is a developmental delay. The answer to that might be, um, well, I don't know if the reason he's having difficulty cleaning off his plate and putting it in the dishwasher is a developmental delay. But if when we try to get him to do that, he's overreacting, the developmental delay, because a lot of kids, if you remind them, will just do it, and a lot of kids, if after you remind them, you got to remind them again, they might balk, but they'll still do it, and it's not ugly. Um, on this program, we focus mostly on the kids who um, have such compromised skills in the domains of flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, and problem-solving that when we remind them or when we insist harder or when we use plan A, they blow They do things that we really wish they wouldn't do. And those kids are in a bit of a different category. Those kids are lacking skills. Is the reason the kid's having difficulty clearing off his plate and putting in the dishwasher lagging skills? Could be. Maybe not. We won't know until we actually talk to him. Is his overreaction when we remind him or insist him lagging skills? For sure. Go ahead, Susie. You were going to make another point. Um only that consequences slash punishment is not effective at changing this type of child's behavior. You never stop to think that the message will never get through. Um, you know, and, and the other, right, the, the interesting thing is this is not the way most folks operate. And you can get away with the way most folks operate with a regular old kid. Uh, You won't with a behaviorally challenging kid. They just are overreactive and they aren't able to keep themselves under control in the midst of frustration as well as many kids can. But now comes the big question. So should we just do plan A with a regular old kid? 
not so fast there either. Don't we want to know, even with a regular old kid, even in a kid who we're insisting harder, um, even in a kid who we can make do it, don't we want to know what's getting in the kid's way? And wouldn't we rather have this be a partnership rather than have it turn adversarial every time we got a plate that needs to be cleaned off and put in the dishwasher? So my attitude is even if you can get away with plan A with a regular old kid, why would you want to? But when we're talking about behaviorally challenging kids, this is a much easier topic. Uh, you can't do plan A with a regular old kid because if you do plan A, excuse me, with a behaviorally challenging kid, because if you do plan A with a behaviorally challenging kid, he's going to blow. I think we've pretty much covered that one. Do you agree? Yes. Let's move on to another. Hello, I've noticed that when applying emergency plan B with my explosive five-year-old, the empathy step seems to enrage her more than calm her. I often say some, I hope you heard the key word in there, emergency. I often say something like, you are angry or upset, and she seems mad that I'm being Captain Obvious. Am I doing something wrong? Also, we have really tried to do proactive plan B, but it's hard to target because she explodes over what I would consider something very minor, piece of yarn falling off her art project or me incorrectly pronouncing a word. How do you effectively address triggers, I'm going to call them unsolved problems, when it seems like any inconvenience is an unsolved problem? Here we go. Um, want to take a crack at that one first? You want me to? I can try. Um, go for it. We had a similar situation with a highly explosive child, and it seemed this was before the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, but um, we did keep a log for a week, and um, it just seemed as if everything would set our son off. Um, The one thing that helped, however, was making an appointment with our child in a calm time to have a proactive plan B discussion um, and also setting aside 15 minutes a day to have these plan B conversations. Um, Emergency plan B is fine if you really need it, but the whole idea is to is to um, address these lagging skills and unsolved problems in a um, planned, proactive, and collaborative manner. So I like your idea about the log. Um, And I think it's wonderful that we are now living in the alpha era because before there was an alpha, and we're referring there to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, um, this whole process was a little wasn't as well organized, um, but it's organized now. This mom, it sounds to me, needs a list, and it sounds like she may end up with a very long list. Um, and yes, while mom would consider 
various unsolved problems to be very minor. Her daughter doesn't, and we need to understand that. Trying to understand it in the heat of the moment sounds in this case, as in many, to be a losing proposition. So we, so long as we keep saying any con- inconvenience is a trigger, it's going to make it very hard to do a proactive plan B. So there's really no escaping the hard work of um, trying to figure out all of the unsolved problems that are causing her daughter to become upset. Now, if it makes her feel any better, the record here, at least in my experience, is 55 unsolved problems. I saw a list of 55 unsolved problems about a week ago. This is a kid in Norway. Um, and that's a lot of unsolved problems. And you're not going to be trying to solve them all at once anyways, just two or three in the beginning. Um, but we do need a list. And when we make our list, sometimes we find that there's some common themes. We're not looking for common themes when we make our list. Um, but sometimes we find that things are more predictable than they at first seemed. Um, but it's almost like there's no choice here because not only is emergency plan B a very difficult way to solve a problem, this explosive five-year-old girl is not responding very well to emergency plan B. Now, sounds to me like there's more to know about this girl than we do. Um, and um, want to let this mom know she also asked for referrals in her area. And if you haven't already heard back from us about that, you will soon, um, because it sounds to me like um, if you're feeling like very tiny things are going to set her off, that's something you'll probably want to have somebody take a look at. Um, so making a list of unsolved problems may get you some mileage. You'd want to walk into the appointment with that, but um, sounds to me like it wouldn't be a bad idea to get a better sense of who this kid is more globally and see if uh, a qualified mental health professional can um, pick up on some things that um, might be going on here that might require some attention besides plan B. I have no idea if that's going to be the case, but this one sounds like one that should get looked at more closely, so you'll be hearing back from us about that one as well. Um, Yes, early on, it can feel like the things that kids are getting upset about seem very minor and very trivial and very insignificant, just to us, not to them. And that's what we've got to understand. Uh, understanding what's getting in the kid's way and what their concern or perspective is, a whole lot more easily accomplished when you're doing plan B proactively rather than emergently. Mom, I hope that answer helps. Ready for another, Susie? We're rolling here. and Our dad has not called in yet. Maybe he's stuck at work or something, but here we go. My 11-year-old has autism and is in general education with support. He has reading, language, social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. One recurring issue is getting him to apologize to another person. He will actually say, I will not say sorry, and becomes pretty anxious. 
He would already be anxious because of whatever incident is cause for the need for an apology. Any ideas on how to begin to help him learn to apologize? It is a social goal on the IEP, so the school is working on this, but I want to use appropriate strategies. Well, um, I don't know if I can help you out. I um, am not exactly clear why we think your 11-year-old needs to apologize, uh, what problem would be solved by having him do so. Um, It sounds like he's got a lot going on, reading, language, social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Sounds like we've got some very big fish to fry. How saying he's sorry made it onto the list of priorities? I would want to know about that. Um, And him saying, I will not say sorry, tells us that whatever problem caused whatever action causes us to think he needs to say he's sorry for definitely isn't going to get solved by having him say he's sorry. And I'm just wondering if he and we would be a whole lot better off if we were trying to solve those problems rather than having him say he's sorry for the aftermath of those problems. I'm sorry is something kids do downstream after an unsolved problem that's upstream has caused behaviors that are floating down to us downstream. I'm not even sure that I'm sorry would have great meaning to him, but one thing I'm sure of, it's not going to solve the problems that are causing the behaviors that we're making him say he's sorry for in the first place. So, uh, you know what? great that it's a social goal on the IEP. Sounds to me like there's much bigger fish to fry here. Not knowing this situation well at all, of course, is the caveat. But, um, boy, don't we have other things we could be doing besides forcing him to say he's sorry? Susie, your thoughts? Um, Just agreeing, of course, with what you said. And I was concerned what comes before the apology, what unsolved problem um, is appearing so that they feel an apology is necessary. Um, It doesn't sound that there's as much understanding that could go on um, and what's really getting in the child's way um, sounds like by focusing on apologies and um, making the kids say he's sorry is, to me, missing the boat on things they could do something about. I think that there are many parents who make their kids apologize. Um, I think that there are many teachers who make their students apologize for their actions. I think a very high percentage of those apologies are perfunctory. They are not heartfelt. Because I think um, you're not letting the kid think about, even if if you do want to do something downstream, for example, to make amends or to do something restorative, engaging the kid 
in the thought process of how we can make it better, how we can make amends to somebody, that's the key piece. A forced apology doesn't involve the kid in the process at all, doesn't involve any thinking on the part of the kid. It's just something the kid is doing in a perfunctory way to, um, in response to an adult demand. But the main point is that no matter what is going on downstream, a forced apology, an authentic apology, the making of amends, there's nothing that takes the place of solving the problem that's causing the behaviors that are causing us to think the kid has to say he's sorry or make amends in the first place. CPS is an upstream model, not a downstream model. Um, In this model, you are furiously paddling to find, identify, and solve the problems that are going on upstream. So much of intervention with behaviorally challenging kids takes place downstream, and so much of it is counterproductive. Shall we turn our attention to another? We are getting to a meaningful number of emails today. No callers. Let me give the phone number again. 347-994-2981. Here's another. And press one. Thank you. You're welcome. My wife and I are concerned about our three-year-old boy. He is really a wonderful, bright, sensitive child. However, we struggle managing his behavior at home. He does well at school. At home, though, he often hits us, yells, and takes anger out on our dogs when he is feeling angry and frustrated. We mostly strive to use positive discipline approaches. We do not use timeouts. We just feel at a loss on how to help him manage his intense negative emotions that lead him to act out in the home setting. We also do not know how much hitting, yelling, etc. when upset is in the range of normal for a three-year-old. As we know that this behavior is normal, if you will, for his age, does the CPS approach help with managing difficult behavior in older toddlers and young preschoolers? If so, how do you modify it to apply it with a three-year-old, as it seems some of this may be for a slightly older child? Any resources you can point us to would be helpful. Here we go. Susie, you want to take first crack at that one? Um, sure. Well, uh, one resource would be um, one of your newer books called The Adventures of Stretch More, Pick Your Path Stories for Solving Problems Together, um, as well as The Explosive Child. Um, both are excellent reads that will help this parent. Um, As I said before, um, we knew from the get-go something was different about our son, and um, while he didn't take his anger out on animals, uh, he did have a tendency to lash out at his older brother. So we taught him... um, a vocabulary, how to express his frustration, and that helped a lot. Um, And also how, when he was feeling frustrated, to remove himself to a quiet part of our home and calm himself down, and then afterwards he could return to 
whatever he was doing. Um, and I do think that this model is very applicable to kids of any age. Um, I think that even with an infant, you have to figure out uh, what problems are causing the infant to get upset. Try to discern what concerns the infant has, what's the infant struggling with, and try to apply solutions that will address the kid's concerns as well as yours. Um, so I guess my big question is, I think, I think we need an alpha here. I think we need a list of the specific uh, unmet expectations or unsolved problems that are causing those intense negative emotions. The fact that we are able to say that he is a wonderful, bright, sensitive child tells me, I think, that uh, the three-year-old boy is not hitting and yelling and exhibiting intense negative emotions full-time, but only part-time. And whenever it's part-time, and it's almost always part-time, it's specific expectations that are setting the ball in motion. And so we need a list of, and so you can find the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, We need a list of the specific unmet expectations that are causing that stuff so we can begin solving them. The three steps are pretty much the same with a three-year-old as they are with a 15-year-old. I've I've seen Plan B go better with many three-year-olds than it does with many of the 15-year-olds that I excuse me, work with. Um, so the big question is the, the uh, how the language processing and communication skills of that three-year-old. Um, can you uh, adjust the model so that uh, you can introduce the unsolved problem to a three-year-old in a way that a three-year-old can understand? That's going to depend completely on the unsolved problem. I've noticed that you've been having difficulty uh, turning the TV off to go to bed. That's, I'd say that to a three-year-old. I'd say that to a 12-year-old. Can the three-year-old put his or her concerns into words? Um, some three-year-olds, as I've already said, do that better than some 13-year-olds. Can three-year-olds listen to your concerns? And can three-year-olds participate in the process of coming up with solutions that address the concerns of both parties? Some three-year-olds uh, can do that uh, without much practice. Some three-year-olds are sort of uh, building the scaffolding in each step so they can do it. But, um, Mom, I want to issue an invitation to you. Do the ALSIP. Try to do Plan B on one of the unsolved problems. Do it proactively, not emergently. Let's see if the hitting and yelling and intense negative emotions are as predictable as I'm thinking they are, without knowing your three-year-old, of course. Call in and let us know about that, and call in and let us know how your first plan B goes and how your three-year-old boy took to it, and we'll try to help you out with anything you need along the way. Hope that sounds like a good deal. Now, Susie, we have a caller. Great. We got Wisconsin calling. Do you remember where that dad was from last week? 913, I believe. Or 937, sorry. 
That's okay. We're going to take this call anyways. Area code 608, you're on the air. What's up today? Hi. Uh, yeah, I have a fifth-grade son, and uh, he has an IEP and has had one since first grade. And this year it seems to be a lot more difficult. And probably four or five weeks ago, the teacher came to us and really explained what was going on with him and some of his difficulties. Um, but uh, then I talked to the school psychologist, and she said, let's uh, get together and redo the IEP and see what's going on. In the meantime, I have been reading your book and listening to your radio show and talked with the IEP teacher, and she and I did bring up uh, your um, solutions, and she said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with it. So I said, let's just pick two problems, and let's try to work on it with my son. So the next day she came back to me and said, well, I asked him what difficulties he's having in school, and he didn't know. <laughs> so I said, well, no, I know that's not how you're supposed to go about it. I gave her some tips, and <laughs> it fell by the wayside. So then I went to the school therapist, and I told her, I said, I'd really like to try this, and, you know, her eyes get big. Well, yes, I've heard about that, but let's, let's just wait for the IEP meeting. So in the meantime, I get a list because we're going to go to a therapist. Uh, the teacher gives me a list of 11 things that he's having problems in school, which, I mean, compared to 55, still 11 is overwhelming. The other day, uh, my son explains that every day he just tries to keep the lid on a pot of boiling water. So, you know, he just said, my, my head is boiling, and I keep, I'd, all I do is try to keep the lid on so it doesn't explode. So to me, that shows he has a lot of frustration through the day. So anyway, how we had the IEP meeting, and they're going to do OT evaluation, speech and language, individual achievement test, and that's going to take 60 days. And I really want to work well, on just two problems. How do I get these people to really latch onto this without overwhelming them? It's a good question, and you may need some help from somebody to do it with you. Um, yeah. Because what you're getting is what I call... Uh, the same old, same old. Um, you're getting a bit of a runaround, maybe, based yeah. on your description of it. People, um, it sounds like people are of the, um, maybe practicing the IEP religion, we might say, um, and there we just say, have faith in the IEP, and have faith yeah. in the IEP process. Well, um, all an IEP is, is a memorialization of the conclusions we've come to about what's getting in the way for a kid and the conclusions about what we're going to try to do to fix it. But um, sometimes IEPs are a good example, and this is going to be a little blunt, but I'll say it anyways, of garbage yeah. in and garbage out. Um, if the IEP is so general and if the only goal of the IEP is to decide um, what bucket the kid is going to draw services from, um, then uh, the IEP has not helped us come to a clear understanding of what's getting in your son's way. And that's what I'm mostly hearing is 
wait for the IEP is not saying we now have a clear understanding of what's getting in a kid's way. You know, an OT evaluation and a speech and language evaluation, those are all great things to get. But, you know, um, they do take a long time, as you're saying. And yeah. but a lot of schools that are using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems find is that they can start making some good headway on what's going on with a kid, on the problems and unmet expectations, without having to wait 60 to 90 days for the results to come in and then get the ball rolling on the IEP, getting written. Um, so what a lot of school systems are finding is that the ALSIP is actually saving them time and saving them testing and therefore saving them money. So here's the big question. Given that it sounds like this is a very IEP-driven system, um, and I try very hard not to worship IEPs, because mm-hmm. often I find that the IEP is, um, I don't know, a, a false <laughs> idol. Um, so the big question is, how can you persuade somebody in that building? I don't know. Maybe the classroom teacher will be receptive. You're looking for somebody in the building who will be receptive to gathering people together to figure out your son's lagging skills and unsolved problems with the ELSIP as their guide. And you know what? If they need somebody to join in on that meeting by phone to help them go through the ELSIP, um, Mm -hmm. one of my colleagues would be delighted to do that. Um, Okay. I hate to see you – I hate to see your – your son is – providing a very nice descriptor of what the school day is like for him. And yeah. um, he, he's not interested in waiting for the IEP. He's not wait, interested in waiting for the speech and language evaluation to get done. And while I, and the OT and anything else they want to do, while those can definitely add value, a lot of school systems do those. And I don't know about yours, so I'm not commenting on your school system. I don't know them, obviously. But a lot of school systems mm-hmm. do those because they don't know about the ALSIP. And the only reason they're doing them is because that's what they do when they want to find out about a kid. But there's this single-sided, single-sheet of paper that can help them know about your kid that isn't going to take 60 to 90 days to do. Do you have anybody in the building that you think might be able to facilitate this for you? Uh, Well, I talked to the principal several times, and she seems to be really on my side and has not like some of the things the teacher and IEP teacher has said, so she's spoken to them several times, so I feel she would be the one that would be on my side for something. That's a very good person to have be advocating for an ALSA meeting because the principal of the building is, of all the people in the building, the one who is in the best position to actually make it happen. Um, You know, uh, you could just call it a parent-teacher conference. You could you, the principal could say, and I don't like saying it this way, let, let, you know what, this mom has a need for information about what is going on with her son in our building, and I don't think it is a crime for us to accommodate her in a meeting. And once mm-hmm. again, uh, if the principal's on board with doing that, I think you're good to go, to tell you the truth. You just may need okay. somebody to join in on a meeting with you to help them know what they're doing with the ALSA because many places that have a more traditional view of things and come at things more from behavior than from unsolved problems, 
sometimes, even though they got the LSIP in front of them, the discussion is no different than it was even when they didn't yeah. have the LSIP in front of them. So mm-hmm. if you want to have find a way for one of my colleagues to join in, go to the Contact Form on the Lives and the Balance website. Um, same way that you, I don't remember where you are, uh, let me just look here. Oh, you just called in. You didn't submit anything. Um, go to the contact yeah. form. It'll okay. uh, let remind me that we spoke on the program, um, and I'll put you in touch with somebody, one of my colleagues, who I think can participate in the ALSIP meeting to see okay. if we can help you get some headway here. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. It's, a, it's another good starting point, so yes. Yeah. Like Very him. frustrating situation to begin to have um, your son tell you that he feels like the lid's going to blow, and for have to have us adults dilly dallying and trying to figure out what's going on and talk to him about it. That's as frustrating as it gets. Yep. Well, let's see if Susie okay. wants to pitch in here too. I think I think Susie has been through a few frustrating IEP processes and has come out the other end of them. Susie, any words of wisdom? Uh, yes. Well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> just that I wanted to say that I know it sounds like you're going through a very difficult time, but that's the great thing about the model is that it gives you hope and um, good for you for being open to a different approach. Um, it's very brave of you. Um, but in realizing that this is a process and it's incremental and it takes time, but you, the great thing about it is that you obtain an understanding about your son. Um, our school was incredibly slow to latch on to um, Dr. Green's model, um, but I kept at it and was persistent. Um, I tried to remain neutral and not antagonize them. Um, I don't know if this is um, feasible or not, but I bought a copy of Dr. Green's book, Lost at School, and Mm -hmm. gave it to our school counselor to read. You might want to give that to the principal. Um, Okay. And the other um, article that he wrote was Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Children, and it just is a um, very simplified version of the model, but um, that's also a good resource. Um, My heart goes out to you because I know what it's like. And um, good for your son to be able to articulate, you know, how it is for him. And, and yeah. um, that's just great, but we need to do something about it to help him. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was very helpful information. He's lucky he's got certainly... a mom who's willing, to, um, who's willing to advocate on his behalf, and I have a feeling you are just beginning but that else that means yeah. could help. Okay. All right. I will I will put that on my list. Thank you. Make sure you let us know um how things are going and make sure you yeah. use the contact form and we'll hook you up with somebody who can join in by phone on the ALSIP meeting. All right, great. Thank you. That's wonderful. You bet. Thanks for calling. All right. Susie, we are um 
we don't have enough time left to do another question. Well, that happens. But I'll tell you what, we can do it again next week, can't we? Yes, we can. In the meantime, we all hope that you feel better. Thank you. Um, I'm sure that I will at some point. We just don't know when. (laughs) Let's do it again next week. Okay, take care. Take care.